Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym, and what I like to do here on the pod is bring fun and sexy guests into this studio to talk about sex and sexuality. Today's fun and sexy guest is uh, lying in a hammock in her backyard. <laughs> That's correct. We're going at a slower pace today. Yeah. Slow fashion, folks. The slowest of fashions. Um... <laughs> And uh, why is this person fun and sexy? Uh, because they're the funnest human, and they've been on uh, the pod, if you recognize their little <laughs> voice there. Um, this is Ray of Share With Ray and Wife Bay Ray. She's a sex educator and a relationship coach. So please welcome back, back to the pod, Ray. Yay. And today we're doing something different. I approached Aaron and said, <laughs> I want to interview you. I was so jealous when you had someone else on. I was like, I wanted to do that. Why didn't I just message her? You know what? So. Is this a new thing that I'm doing? Because I love it. <laughs> I mean, why not? Should we open that up? If anyone wants to interview Erin on her podcast, to interview me? <laughs> hit her up. Honestly, I'm like, yes. Like, sometimes when I do pods with people, they're like, you know, they're so um, apprehensive to be like, can I, can I just ask you a question real quick? And I'm like, oh my God, ask away. Like... I, I don't know. I've been doing this for so long at this point that, like, I desire a little switcheroo, a little switch up now and again. So I was so well, game this is right. good because I've actually been percolating on quite a few questions as a longtime listener. Aww. So I have a list, as usual, prepared of things that I want your opinion on. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if anybody has heard any of the, um, the pods that I did with Ray on her podcast or any of the times you've guested we know you are a well-researched guest you are a well-researched host so um this is not surprising to me at all that you've done your homework right <laughs> i think in this case it's more like i just didn't want to forget anything but should we should we dive in because i'm very excited okay yes okay. you said you've got a lot of material to get through let's, yeah. let's just get to it <laughs> okay Number one, there is no order. I'm going to stop doing numbers pretty much after this one question. Okay. okay, so you have said multiple times on episodes, FetLife is problematic. And mm. so I know one reason why FetLife was problematic, and that was their security breach a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, it is the best local events page for all fetish events. And also, I don't know why it's problematic, because no one is saying why. Everyone's just trying to be polite. So can yep. you please tell me why is FetLife problematic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree that it's like, you know, it still holds like as much space for our community as like f Facebook does. Like it's the kinky Facebook, you know. Um, and we all hate Facebook too. So, you know, Facebook is also problematic. Yes. So I actually find that like any of these social media sites, like Instagram really comes to mind. And now Twitter, I'm still going to call it Twitter. Fuck you, Elon. Um, it's the same for their same reasons or similar reasons why they're all kind of problematic, um, that they're not really as willing to moderate um, white supremacist voices um, when they're 
willing to moderate, you know, um, quieting queer voices, POC folks. Um, there was a big article I read um, uh, back, like, when there was a lot of talk about BLM in, like, 2020. And Dirty Lola, who's a sex educator that I really respect the opinion of, um, was interviewed on, I think it was just, like, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News. And she was saying that just how much racism she experiences and everybody she knows experiences on that site. And it's just rampant. It's like the wild, wild west. Like no one is moderating it. People can openly have like that they're a white supremacist like in their bio. Like they're not even using coded language. Yeah, and I and I, I do think that's similar to like a lot of social media platforms. They're more interested in like silencing sex workers, you know, like as you're you're yeah. aware with sex education, like you can't even say the word sex. You can't even anywhere anymore, right? Um, yeah. And yet, stuff like white supremacy just runs so rampant on. I would I'm gonna say all of those, you know, uh, platforms, including FetLife. Okay. And very including FetLife. And he's he's said some weird stuff in the past. Like, he kind of comments, like, on some things. Like, he made, like, a dead hooker joke, you know, back in the day uh, and stuff like that. So it's just, like, uh, it's basically he's a white man and he's running a platform. So, you know, the problematic stuff. It's such a shame for all of the the wonderful white men that I know out there who are not like that at all. Yeah, I know some good ones. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's so unfortunate that they're getting associated with, with uh, the bad ones. Yeah, so he's just like another white man with a lot of power running a big, you know, platform. Not under- yeah. Yeah, and not right. having that nuanced understanding of like, um, you know, how he's constantly just favoring white men his yeah. own age over anyone yep. else. Yeah, that's that's mostly it. Right, and for anyone who forgot, yeah. um, FetLife was hacked a few years ago and everyone's private information was shared publicly online and I don't know if their security practices have improved since then but I do know a lot of people with a lot of nudes that they would not want their bosses to see that had their bosses like wow. you know seeing that information so yeah that's wild. you know felt life is not private no matter what people people say like even if they say it's private there's no such thing as private space on the internet that yeah and then recently also um like in the past couple of years there or last year maybe i think he there was an attempt to boot off any sex workers anyone doing it commercially and so there was a mass uh. kind of freak out and then everybody was scrambling to be like well what even does commercial mean because the tos changed and stuff like this so Listen, it's just like it's another fine if, it's fine if a this. man wants to come to your house and paint your toenails and suck on your feet and fuck them <laughs> but you shouldn't want to charge for that, Aaron. Okay, absolutely not. You shouldn't want to. You shouldn't want to be receiving anything in exchange for that service that you just provided to that man. <laughs> to that man. To this man. I've never heard of a woman trying to show up to your house for free to do that. It's anyway. <laughs> but I, just because I haven't heard of it doesn't mean it never happens. I'm. I, that's you know. Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure somewhere someone's tried it. <laughs> Okay, well, this actually segues into two potential other things I wanted to ask about. So, okay, let's go. I'm just going to go in order on my piece of paper. In no particular order of that these questions were brainstormed. Okay, so this actually we talked about a little bit like, or I think I mentioned now, like there is no privacy on the internet. So you, as a podcaster, a public person, not just a service provider who's like public about it, you are online. You are an online presence. How do you feel or 
think about or I don't know, there's not really like a well-formed question here, but the concept that I'm trying to convey here is the idea of creating connection with people while also creating boundaries. So because you podcast, you share parts of your life with people and people might want to have access to more. And when you're a service provider, people are trying to connect with you in a certain way. And there's always that one person who wants to know the real you, the you that nobody else gets. So I guess my question here around is like, how are you navigating privacy boundaries and creating connection as a podcaster, as a service provider? What do you keep private? What do you allow to be public? That's a great question, Ray, really. Um, And that's a question. Absolutely. You know, that's a topic that I've struggled with doing over the years. I feel pretty settled and pretty happy with like my boundaries surrounding privacy and being a public kind of figure or semi-public figure, you know? So uh, there is, there is stuff I definitely don't talk about on the podcast. And I think if for long-term listeners, for people who have really listened from the beginning, I think people might notice that I talk about my personal stuff a lot less than I used to, my personal relationships. Um, And even in my paywalled podcast, like my Patreon, I only talk about certain relationships, like, i.e. ones who have given consent for me to do so. So it's like, um, I have to respect the other people's boundaries in my life. Um, I wasn't as good at that as I am now right? I just kind of assumed people wouldn't mind or um, would even get excited about it because some people really do get excited about hearing about themselves on the pod um, or like clients on the Patreon pod. So uh, definitely I had a learning curve with that. And then as far as like interaction, I interact with people I don't know a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot less than I used to. Like, I don't even like people's comments on Twitter anymore, <laughs> let alone respond to them. So I just don't have space for it anymore. I'll only respond literally to people I've sessioned with, sometimes not even then. I used to do, like, online domination, which I don't do anymore. And to me, that feels like the best boundary I've ever set with my work. Because when I did online um, domination the client just always had access to me, basically. You know what I mean? I had a bit of boundaries as far as, like, I'm not going to answer anything past 10 p.m. I'm not going to answer anything, you know, before 11 a.m. or whatever boundaries I set. But, like, they could get at me. They could text me throughout the day on Night Flirt, you know. Um, Right. And then, like, you, it's, like, so hard to not respond to that message because you're worried about that being money. Yeah, money and just maintaining this regular I have, maintaining the relation, the professional relationship I have, you know what I mean? And so that was learning curve too. I did that. I tried that having some like 24 seven pro subs, but I realized what a big, um, uh, like invasion into my personal life that felt like I talked to them more than I talked to like my friends my partners my family and that just felt so wrong and I wasn't getting paid as much as I should have been getting paid for it you know what I mean so yeah well you also don't know how much it's worth it to you to get paid until you you feel the emotional drain Yes. So that was a learning curve too. But like, you know, when people come in a session with me at Ritual Chamber and they say, oh, I love your podcast. I love all your little videos. Like when they say stuff like that, I love it. They're like, I'm a subscriber to your Patreon. Like, I love hearing that. But like, 
I'm also like, okay, let's start the session. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll take the compliments and then move on. I won't sit with them an hour talking about, you know, whatever they heard. I'm just like, yeah. cool, you can hear it, but just don't like bug me about it. I guess that's the boundary. <laughs> I've noticed on TikTok, there's a lot of people who's like, online profile start as just them and then slowly morph into like a couple's doing cute couple things when they start dating someone and I'm always like okay but what happens if you break up does that mean you've lost your followers does that mean that you no longer have content like I've always wondered how those people manage that you know what I mean like it's like they're performing their relationship for people but what happens when things when you don't want to do that performance anymore I actually yeah, yeah someone I was following that exactly that thing happened exactly like the marriage dissolved and they were a couple's account right. and yeah. And everybody's talking about it. It's like, wow, well, I yeah. want Internet that for drama. myself. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I think it's nice that you mention your partners without necessarily, and like sometimes your partner's in an ad, for example, without it becoming <laughs> the Aaron and Mr. Sweet Velvety vocal tones, you know, podcast. Like, it's nice to have something that's just for you. Yeah, Matt, like, very um, infrequently guest stars on something, you know, and I and he he's happy to do that. That's how much he wants to interact. And I'm like, great, you do you. Yeah, my my husband, I remember when I was doing my podcast, we stopped on episode 69. Haha. When I was doing it, my husband, like, basically filled in once because I had someone drop out and we yep. had so much fun. But he was like, I don't ever want to do that again. Like, not everyone has partners that want to be so involved in their public social life. And other people don't seem to understand that. Yeah, it's weird. But it's my own personal <laughs> tangent. You know, that's, that's, that's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of expectations I have found on, on um, what people think they deserve access to. Oof, strangers that. specifically literal so, strangers yeah so I'm I think I'm happy to say I'm really good at like I like just holding a really strong boundary surrounding that at the present I'm really happy with that wonderful we're gonna go through this faster than I thought we would don't worry unless we get stuck on one there's one that I think we're gonna go on for a while at I left it for last okay next now I think we're on number three of my questions even though I said I would drop the numbers number three okay I put in quotes, sex workers are therapists, which let's be honest, there are sex workers where what you do is therapy. But Erin, let's be honest, when is it time to see an actual therapist? Oh my God. <laughs> um, always. It's always that time, I think. Um, everyone should see therapists. I wish it was just more accessible financially for everyone. Um, you know, I have a service where I'm like, book a kinky consult with me. Right. And we'll kind of and that's just talking right about whatever it can be talking about like a future scene we're going to do or maybe there's some coming up against something in their kink or something like that. But mainly like it stays in the kinky sphere. If it starts to get really super personal, I try to recenter the conversation towards whatever the topic we were going to talk about. Like it's got it's got to kind of stay kink related. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Um, and same with like, I had this happen in a scene recently and I was like, whoa, 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 I gotta, I gotta shift this big time where like, they just, they came in to do a session with me at Ritual Chamber and they just started talking all about like their actual, you know, other people in their lives that did not consent to be talked about in this context. And I kind of tried to focus away and he'd go right back to it. I tried to like steer it back on track. He'd go right back to it. So I had to absolutely shut this down and be like, um, I didn't kick him out or anything, but I was like, okay, 
I'm going to stop you right there. Hard stop. Um, this is how this has got to look right in this context. And I haven't had to do that very often, but I did it very recently. Um, and I was really happy for myself with drawing that boundary. And I was really happy for myself that I didn't just let him do whatever and just feel kind of squigged out or uncomfortable. Um, and that I was able to turn it into something that we both really enjoyed. So thankfully, uh, I think thankfully, <laughs> it doesn't happen too often. But yeah, anytime it gets like, really off track like it's not even about kink anymore I'm like okay no I'm not yeah. that person to help you with that yeah so yeah. when it, when sex workers say we are therapists or we are like therapists what do sex workers actually mean by that what are you what elements of therapy are you comparing your profession to right what we do is definitely it can be therapeutic if the client is approaching it that way and I think um what we mean by that is like we're presenting this container we're presenting this safe space for you to express yourself sexually you know or you know a lot of people come into kink for non-sexual reasons too so like we're just pr providing this safe space for you to be an authentic you to do things you don't usually get to do so i think it's that providing a safe space thing um a judgment-free shame-free space um, for you to explore, you know, find out stuff, um, connect and, um, yeah, giving that like one-on-one -on -one attention that a therapist gives you, I guess, like, cause that's very rare in our lives, even with our partners, you know, friends, family, like how much do we really have one-on-one -on -one dedicated focus on each other? And that's totally focused on the client. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm involved and I contribute and facilitate, but it's mostly about them. It's customer service. Right. So I think in that, that's what we mean by where, when we say it's like therapeutic or as therapeutic properties, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I just really want to draw that that comparison. I was, uh, this comes out of, some of these also come out of like things I've been doing recently and questions that I asked myself after I teach. So when I was at the um, the National Sex Work Assembly in Edmonton last year, which I really hope they get funding for to do again, but it, it looks like there's some struggles with that, which anyone who has about $500,000 um, and wants to be an angel investor, you know, message me because I'll, I'll connect you. Um, there was, I was teaching the healing trauma through kink workshop and I, I'm a very big fan of saying like, there's all kinds of professionals you can talk to like coaches or therapists or, you know, this, and a lot of the sex workers see themselves as doing a therapeutic practice, which is great. And I kept saying like, you need to be working with some sort of like professional. And someone asked me the question like, well, why can't you just talk to your friends who know about kink? Why should you be seeing a kink aware therapist when you've just talked? I talk all the time about how credentialing doesn't necessarily mean anything. And so for me, credentialing has a purpose and a place in certain areas. And one of those is with therapeutic techniques and practices. And there's a lot of people who are just your friend or your partner who are, you know, as you just said, they've got their own bias. They've got their own things going in their head. They have their own motives without meaning to, you know. And so I was saying that when it comes to therapy specifically, healing trauma specifically, someone who is experienced with actual therapy and can do actual therapy is going to be better off than your friend who has trauma themselves. And so I would also say that like as a sex worker, I'm sure you're interacting with people who have trauma all the time. So have you encountered a space where you had to tell a client to go to get some therapy? And if yes, how did you handle that conversation? 
<laughs> yeah, I have been in that situation. Um, and um, I might creep in that like, oh, yeah, I know what my therapist says about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to, like normalize that normalized therapy of like, I have a therapist, you know, and I find uh, what's really good, you know, about talking to a therapist is this and like how my therapist has helped me, you know, along that topic is like by doing this and like, you know, I so I think I'd like soft serve it it by doing that. <laughs> I I might draw a boundary, um, a kind boundary that's telling them that that's beyond my experience, that's beyond my skill set. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how to help you with that. You know, but there are professionals, mental health professionals that could help you with that. There are coaches that could help you with that. I think you just have to be as honest as possible. Like, um, I'll be like, yeah, I, um, I don't have training in that. You know, I, I don't have training in that. And no, it might really help you. I'm like, I can refer you to some people, you know, I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. As a professional, I'm really not afraid to say, I don't know, and, and point them somewhere else. So I think that's a conversation I'm really... I'm more skilled in having than I used to. (laughs) Excellent. This is great. I'm like very much enjoying listening to your answers because once again, as mentioned, I've just been very curious about what you, what you would have to say on these topics. So I'm going to go to number four and number four is going to be an interesting one. Um, I literally just wrote the words sex worker misinjury on my paper. (laughs) Because I have a, once again, this isn't like a well-formed question. But I was having a conversation with another sex worker that I was chilling with at the assembly. And um, they were telling me that they are non-binary, but they have to perform she, her, when they're with clients. Because clients want the she, her, and the femininity. Um, And how, you know, they actually secretly hate men, talk trash about men all the time, but that's their main client base. And how they themselves know a ton of sex workers who are actually secret misinterests. So... What's your experience with this? Do you think that these people are misinterests? Okay, so I'm wondering if it's a chicken or the egg as well. So number one is what's your experience? And then number two, do you think that some sex workers hate men and then they go to sex work to be like, "Ah, I'm going to get back at the patriarchy by really making money off of it? Or is it that sometimes doing this role makes certain people in the industry hate men? Hmm. I think both can happen. Absolutely. I'm sure there's a whole range of people you know, that have all sorts of different feelings on this topic that go into sex work, that are sex workers that leave sex work for these reasons. I think my experience is definitely didn't go into sex work to like get back at men or anything like that. Um, So that's a no for me. But I think when I got into sex work, I realized how important it was for me to kind of reframe again, my boundaries with people I don't know. Um, and most of my clients are men, not all, but, and I've had boundaries violated by clients who are non-men. Um, absolutely. But, um, by and large, you know, I realized with like the way I kind of date, uh, the way I navigate like dating apps and stuff, a lot of similarities of like, oh, wow. Yeah. I really, need to put up a boundary for men I don't know. And the boundary is that they pay to interact with me. And that feels good, right? And um, I do feel that emotional labor 
sometimes, right? And I have to keep checking in with myself to be like, what do I need to do? Not offer this service? Do I need to raise a rate? Do I need to take a break from this work? Because sometimes feeling resentful means I'm burnt out um, in some way also. So it's like reassessing boundaries often surrounding that and checking in with myself. I don't think it's like, in a lot of ways, I guess it is men specific. In a lot of ways, it's not. It's me just um, doing unpaid labor and feeling that and feeling that and not wanting to do that. And, and it's more about boundaries with work, I think, that I come up against. Mm-hmm. So other people have their own, their own things, and that might be a case for some sex workers, but it's not the case for all sex workers. No, it certainly isn't. Um, I always kind of reframe for people that have that fantasy reality disconnect of like, you're a dominatrix, and you, you know, you're a dominatrix because you hate men and you want to beat them. I'm like, very, I'm so quick to shut that down and be like, you should never actually feel angry in a session. Never. Nobody. Right? Like, like a beginner kickboxing class. If you're showing up angry, you're showing up wrong. Yes, exactly. It's like, so that's a myth that's absolutely busted as far as like, no, I don't hit men because I hate men. Hitting men in consensually in a session is actually a love language. It's the opposite, right? Um, And they're telling me what their love language is. And I'm doing the love languages, no matter doing what the love language is, no matter what, you know, it looks like whatever the language is, you know, if it looks humiliating, it's like humiliate humiliation's the love language, you know what I mean? It's all done with care or should be done with care. Um, And in my practice, my, you know, my um, ethics on that is um, to always do it with care for that person. Um, because if I don't care with a better person, I don't like, um, the person, I don't want to share space in this way with a person that I'm not going to, right? I've had clients that I'm like, I don't like sessioning with them. And I've asked, you know, to stop sessioning with them. That's happened. Um, but yeah, you know, men have a lot of baked in privilege that, uh, so it comes up a lot with men for sure but it also comes up a lot with like non-men who think because they're non-men they have special access or it's not as bad it's not as much emotional labor but it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) well non-men are a different kind of non-men are a different kind of emotional labor Mm -hmm. i've i've noticed yeah like i mean i have clients who are men and women and clients who are couples and i find that like I actually love being a men's coach because most of the time I tell them what to do and they do it. Or we hop on a call and they're like, I didn't do the homework. I'm like, why? And then they're like, because of this. I'm like, all right, let's, let's problem solve that. Right? Like, that's it. It's just like, this is it. This is that the end. Right. Um, sometimes with my male clients, when I'm doing dating coaching, we have to unpack some internalized misogyny or we unpack some and, and like, not just misogyny, like against women, but like, like the like unpacking like patriarchy and the messages about themselves and their own masculinity that they don't even know they're holding. Yes, you know, I have that like that. a lot too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. really trying to deal, drill down into like what is the toxic message you're telling yourself and where did it come from and like sometimes it came from an ex girlfriend. Sometimes you know what I mean because we all participate in patriarchy. But whenever I was dealing with um, like uh, cis, cis women when it came to dating coaching because I haven't had a lot of queer people that I work with. The emotional labor was a lot more about um, overcoming, like, fear 
and insecurity in a very different way. But also, that fear frequently manifested as anger towards men. I, you know, and so there's like a, but like, and there's like, there was a different sort of entitlement coming from, from the women that I worked with in terms of dating, right? Um, and that's sort of where I think like I was, you know, maybe connecting to misinjury, right? Like there's so many hurt people out there. And when you're hurt, you just want to go back and try and like get one over on The Bedpost Podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. Check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And now you can go to their website, www.clubm4.com, but one of my favorite things to do is to go to their Instagram events page and see what they've got going on. Scrolling through here, buy pleasure party, a night with the theme little black dress, and fetish fantasy hosted by Empress. If anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. So, um, circling back to you, um, what kind of labor or emotional labor or entitlement have you found with the non-men clients that you've been working with? Yeah, I think that um, they think they can get away with a lot because they're non-men. That's that's like some very, I have a couple clients who I've had to essentially fire because of that reason. Um, that when I set a boundary, they assume it's for men and not, not mm. for them, you know. Um, You've been to Oasis Aqua Lounge, right? <laughs> right? Right, Erin? You've been there. A couple times, yeah. I have noticed um, what I call like a hot girl entitlement Ah, yeah. to other women. Yeah, they don't yeah. necessarily think they can just go up and start touching men. I've seen women go up and start touching other women without asking. Absolutely. Or, the, or assuming that other women are bi because they're bi and they're, you know what I mean? Like they assume that other women in that space are there for the exact same reason and it's to, you know, have a, a bisexual interaction with another woman and just play with women and like they just sort of go for it. And I'm like... Treat others the way you want to be treated. God. Yeah, that feels like the very, that feels like a bachelorette party in a gay club, right? They just touch all the drag queens. They touch, like, it's like, oh. Yeah. Which, by the way, for all of your listeners out there, just because some hot girls do that doesn't mean every hot girl you meet at Oasis will do that. Absolutely. This is, these are some people, not all people. Just like some bachelorette parties can be disrespectful, but not all bachelorette parties are disrespectful. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, my bachelorette party was part at a burlesque show with drag performers and whatnot. And so, yeah, I'd like to think that we were all respectful. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like, you know, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, 
when like the the group of guys goes to the strip club and the one female friend goes with them and she's uh, not prepared to tip uh, or like be respectful do you know what i mean she's like there to be like one of the guys and i'm like if you are going to a strip club you better be ready money. to tip every dancer yeah yes if you're just going there because you think it's a laugh you're going like you are you are being disrespectful of of the space in my yeah. opinion yeah you're the worst yeah anyway <laughs> yeah. um yeah so Oh, man, I had another thought. You might have to edit out this long pause while I see if I can reclaim it because <laughs> it's one I of had, those days for me today. I had something written down that I uh, just wanted to clarify I, I, um, about your, not this question, but the one before. I wrote oh, down, yeah. Go ahead. Get, getting into sex work because you hate men feels super contradictory to me because most of your clients are going to be be men and you're interacting with men a lot. So it seems like counterintuitive to me to like get into sex work with the motivation that you hate men, you know, cause you're going to have to spend a lot of time with men. Well, I've seen it a lot more for the, uh, like digital content creators, like OnlyFans. Um, and I, when I say seen it more, a lot more, I mean like more than people who are doing like in-person sex work, but that's definitely not the majority of people doing digital content. But I have seen people who are like, well, if men are going to treat me like an object, then I'm going to make money off of it. And they don't, you know what I mean? Like they're not having healthy interactions with men. Yes. In, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the rest of their world as well. Yeah, I feel um, as somebody who's done digital, like virtual sex work, I'm like, oh, I feel like it's worse. Like uh, people are all over you online because it's anonymous, right? They're behind a screen. So it's like people are people are worse online with violating boundaries yeah. and whatnot. Okay, I remembered the thought that I had. Okay, so I know we just had this whole conversation about like entitled women and and, you know, entitled men and entitled people. One of my, I'm just going to share this pet peeve for your listeners, which is when I interact with men who say things like, well, when I went to Oasis, a girl touched me without asking. To which it's like, yes, that was also not okay. Or, oh, well, like, I did this. And like, you know, it's fine when a woman does it. And I'm like, it's actually not fine it's not, when actually. a woman does it. Yeah. Maybe instead of saying, well, it's fine when a woman does it, sexism, sexism, maybe just acknowledge that, you know what, that also wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you can hold women to a certain standard of consent that's okay you can do that you're allowed listeners to hold women to the same standard of consent as men absolutely great point i'm glad you circled back to that yeah i just wanted to before i forgot just because i'm i'm tired of hearing people grumbling about sexism women get away with things they shouldn't we shouldn't that's all anyway um oh and also by the way i know i said this to you privately but i'm going to say it publicly on your podcast Mm -hmm. i loved the conversation you had with Kelsey Van Helsing about consent violations. Oh. And when you said that, like, anyone who claims to have never had a consent violation is lying and untrustworthy. I don't know if that's what you said word for word. It's a word, red flag. Is, yeah, it's a red flag to what me I, now. That's what I took from it. Um, yeah. And I think it's really important as consent educators to talk about the times that we all make mistakes. And we yeah. all we all have to learn and do better. I think there's this assumption that now that we're talking about consent means that we're all going to do better and be better and never make a mistake and never have a misunderstanding and that's just not true and i found it very um validating to hear you talk about that Uh, even just me doing consent education workshops and being in the sphere i really appreciated that and i appreciated that vulnerability that you both had to admit something that that is hard to admit because in some spaces they would want to cancel you for admitting that unfortunately so i think it's important that that you are talking about all of those things that we don't necessarily want to talk about, which is when we have fucked up and how we've recovered from that and how we, we do better moving forward. Yeah. So thank Thank you. you. Yeah. I'm really, um, I'm really blessed to, you know, have so much 
access to like consent education and friends who are consent educators and friends who are, you know, like me, you know, kind of more public figures, maybe professionally or whatever, to have these conversations. So yeah, during that time, I was like talking to a bunch of people about that exact thing of like, man, we're all just like consent is so scary. It's really scary. Um, because yeah, I, I, I think you have to put so much trust in each other. And specifically with me, like I deal with new people, new clients, like I'm, I advertise to folks who are new to kink and it's incredible. It's such an incredible risk and a leap to work with people who are super, super new to kink and therefore don't have many bottoming skills or any at all. And to have to put trust in that person to advocate for themselves, like you're putting yourself in a very risky scenario, like I am, right? And that's why I always undercut intensity in sessions because like, I'm so apprehensive um, because I have that, you know, I've got that knowledge that it's like, even if they're communicating, you could still be making them uncomfortable. Um, and you've got to create yeah. so much space for the no and anything from the no to the yes. It's like, you've got to create so much space for that. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like a lot of people do one session with me and then move on because I didn't give them the intensity they required, or I didn't give them that, you know, hardcore experience. And I'm like that, I can't. You build to that. That's like through trust. You build through, you got to do more than one session. Yeah. And people that. sometimes don't understand that move on. And I'm fine with it. I'm like, this is just the way I, I got to do my practice at this point for well, me. Well, yeah. Yeah. You, you got to make sure that, that you're honoring your own boundaries as well. And like, you don't want to go too far and, and like better this is honestly when I'm talking to young people who are in like hookup culture at universities about consent I'm like don't worry you will have a chance to have sex again yes. better to err on the side of <laughs> I'm gonna get consent and I'm not sure so we're just not gonna do it than to do it and have regrets yeah I'm like you can or, always book a second session <laughs> yeah like why, why would you why would you want to push when you could say you know what I know for a fact I'm gonna have another opportunity to do this yes you know yeah well like, said yeah okay cool so I have three more things I want to talk to you about but two are still about sex work and one is not so we're gonna go to sex we're gonna jump on my list um two how much should you tip a sex worker when sending that initial message or after a session do you tip after a session what is an appropriate tip because you also say things like don't forget to tip and it's like okay but how much yeah yeah um it's definitely like any other tip it can be like proportionate to uh, you know how many hours you booked or whatever you paid I think an appropriate reading fee is like you know anywhere from like 25 to 50 dollars so if you want to send an email and you want like a detailed response to something um, send a little reading fee along that sets a really good precedent that you're like respecting that person's time and then yeah tipping after a session I just raised my rates. This is kind of interesting. I just raised my rates and people tip a lot less, a lot less than they used to, uh, which is something that I never really realized or expected would happen. I guess people have a budget in mind. And so it comes out of the tip if it goes over that budget. Yeah. And also the way the rates line up, like an hour and a half, I think my take is 390 for an hour and a half. So people just round up to four. I'm like, $10 not ten dollars 
Whereas, you know, if it came to 350, they'd round up as well to 400, probably. <laughs> Got it. Well, I mean, I'm, I don't know how you feel, but I prefer consistent, predictable income to um, random tips. Like, I'd much rather have, like, a consistent amount that I know will be coming in from, in, in this case, a session for me means, like, coaching. But, like, I would rather know that I'm going to make at least this much from a coaching session and, like, anything. I, I don't get tipped in coaching, obviously, but, like, you know, if someone wants to tip me, then, like, cool, great. But, like, at least I know that I'm going to be paying my bills with X amount this month based off of those bookings, you know, versus tips are variable and hard to predict income around. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right. Rather raise the rate and have the rate be the thing. And then if you get extra, you get extra. But yeah, like I'd love, um, I'm super happy with like, if I do a three hour session with someone, they leave a hundred bucks. I'm, I'm super pleased. You know, if I do an hour and a half with somebody, if I get 50 bucks, I'm super pleased. You know, if we do an extended, there's like four to six hours. If you leave an extra 200, super pleased. I'll say that. Cool. Do you, I wonder... I mean, you might know, I mean, this doesn't apply to you, but you know, the, um, the escorts that do like week long adventures in Europe or whatever, which by the way, sounds very glamorous, but I know it's a lot of emotional labor. Um, yeah. I wonder how, do they get tipped? I wonder how much they get tipped if they get tipped or is it just that the trip is the tip? Yeah. I, I mean, the trip can't be the tip because the trip is the work. (laughs) Yeah. But like, yeah, you know. There are all sorts of costs you can put in with like fly me to use and stuff like that. Like you can be getting paid while you're in the air. You can be getting, you know, all your accommodations, all your food, everything taken care of. So, you know, you can kind of swing some perks for yourself when those situations happen. But I I like order the fancy steak, you know. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. They're at least getting paid a fair rate that much, I know. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 And like, yeah, I do wonder though if they also would get a big, massive tip because it's a big, massive. session fee for all of that so i'd love to hear that they get fucking two grand tip on top of that (laughs) call in call in all of you you uh sex workers who do week-long yeah um i'm just gonna take a a short moment here to say that i have like one client left from when i had only fans because he was the only one really like tipping me and making it worth my time and he orders custom constant basically daily for me but i do miss one thing about my only fans and that was random gifts of the lingerie that I can't afford to purchase myself. So, Aaron's listeners, if you want to buy a public slut, some honey burdette lingerie, you know, something from Love and Lemons, what's the other, Thistle Inspire, and you're just like, you know what, we want to we wanna appreciate Ray on this podcast <laughs> instead of Aaron this time. Yeah. Follow me at Wife Bay Ray at Share with Ray, and I will send you photos of me in the lingerie. I miss that part. That's like the tips that I miss from. Do it. You will from, not regret. You know, like Ray oh, is I... gorgeous and is a lingerie whore. So. Oh my God, yes. Only so... is actually helping to like fund my addiction that I <laughs> lingerie addiction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That like anyway, you know, you change cup sizes, you got to start all over again. That. Anyway. Oh my God, that absolutely. Yeah. I'm in yeah, the middle yeah. of that right now. I like shrank. I got my skinniest over the pandemic. We're going to segue to the next topic. I got my skinniest I've ever been over the pandemic mm-hmm. and then gained back. Not like like some of it, but like I would Enough. say I gained back the tit. That's for sure. And I'm very OK with that. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> nothing I bought during that time fits me anymore. And it's so sad. Anyway, oh, I'm, I'm squeezing into some of my leather, some of my old leather. I'm like, oh. you know that you have gained. Yeah, you know, you've gained weight when your underwear is too tight now. Like, it's fine when you put it on in the morning. But then, like, at the end of the day, after you're dying. Dinner, <laughs> yeah. 
You're like, all right, I'm a size up, which isn't a bad thing. You just got to go that size up. But it's sad because you spent all that money. You know how I fix that? I don't wear underwear. Oh, solution. <laughs> skip, skip the step. What a great, what do you, do you, are, you're, you must not be a very big oozer. You must not snail trail all over the furniture. There's like one day a month that I, that I am a little oozy, as you put it. <laughs> On your ovulation day, maybe? On your let's get that dick in me day? Yeah. That day, yeah. Where's the dick day? Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to segue into the next topic, which is you have been speaking a lot recently about how your body has gone through some changes and how like, it's totally fine. It's fine. It doesn't hurt you. That one comment that guy made. It's no, fine. It's not it's just fine. sitting with it's you fine. forever. Um, so I want to just take a moment to explore. I love you. It's true. Honestly, though, I will say that like when I was at the skinniest I've ever been, I loved how my arms look. I loved lots of parts of my body, but the parts of my body that I don't like stayed the same. So why would I put effort into maintaining Skinny Ray when I didn't like the same parts of me? Like, it didn't make a difference in my mental health, you know? So, like, fuck it, let's have big tits and feel the same. Um, So what I noticed and what I have noticed, and one thing that's also when I post body positive content, this conversation comes up even in my private DMs a lot, is that it is so much easier to be body positive when you are skinny and classically attractive. Then when you gain a bit of that weight or you start to age or you start like, ha- like it's so easy when you're a size four to be like, oh, bodies are beautiful. I look at that plus size body and I think, wow, she's stunningly gorgeous. But then it's your body and it becomes so much more challenging to keep that positive attitude. So um, have you noticed that for yourself or have you noticed any changes in that or have you noticed any of your own Secret hypocrisy, now that you have gone through those changes, mm-hmm. or is it more like the messaging has, has been, like, you know, helpful for you to stay, like, you know, healthy as the changes happen? Or, you know, is it both? Whatever. What are you... I'm giving you options, but I'm sure you have your own opinions. That might be none of those. Yeah. Um, great, great stuff, right? Um, and I, uh, I, I've mentioned you on a pod recently because I love your body positive posts, by the way, so much. I think we talked about it in the DMs at one point, but... Um, so I think I, I love my body how it is right now. Um, and I take a lot of pictures of myself for work, right? So I see my body a lot. Um, and I think I look juicy as fuck. Like I'm loving how I look and I really got that first time experience of like, okay, you're a little heavier. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not tons heavier, but like even just being a little heavier, right? You will get the comments. So that's like, it's an unfortunate thing that it's like, if you want to exist as a fat person or a slight, even slightly heavier person if you want to exist or even publicly, fatter than you were before even just a bit fatter than you were previously the you know it comes with the baggage of you're gonna get comments on it right and that's something i've very i very recently firsthand realized i'm like if i'm gonna be at this weight comes part and parcel that i'm gonna get comments on it on the weight yeah, like you can't just sit there and love your body. You're going to have to actively fight against the secret, the not the secret, but like the the overt comments saying that you shouldn't love your body. So it's like that added. Yeah, so it's like I love my body at this weight, 
but if, if I'm at this weight, it means I'm getting the comments. It's just, that was an interesting thing that I realized. I was like, yeah. okay, I can't just love my body at this weight. You know, it comes with that, right. which That's sucks. Shitty. It sucks. Yeah. I had yeah. a photographer recently like imply that I'm like a plus size model. And it's like, bitch, I'm a size six and I'm five foot two. I'm a solid medium. I am the perfect short medium. There is no plus size on this body. Like, you know, we're so used to seeing images of people who are, if they are my size, they're a size zero or a size two. So it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just the idea that you even have other people who are in the industry of whatever that industry is, but like the industry of like casual photographers being like, oh, I love curvaceous plus size women. And you're like, I'm, you think I'm plus size? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Careful. Wow. Careful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point that it's like it's off it's often it's the fetishization right of it like people are saying stuff and like meaning probably intentionalities that it's a compliment that you're hot right but it's like just the language they use right it, but you're also like but it's like I understand that you think that you're saying like I look good even though I'm not skinny if that's yes. what you're trying to say but like just because I'm not thin in the way that we're used to seeing thinness does not make me automatically plus size yeah or and curvy or you know what I mean whatever like, word just, you want to use I'm just about fucking me. normal yes you know? and yeah. I and I feel this way about body hair also like um I'm a natural girl you know with my body hair and when people call me hairy I love your hairy armpits. I'm like, well, I'm not hairy. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's some internalized um, phobia around being hairy or being perceived as hairy. But I'm like, I like. But every time someone says, I love your hairy armpits, they're about to say, can you send me photos? They're they're fetishizing you. They're never like just, it's never just like a body positive. Like, I love how confident you are. And it's nice to see people who are comfortable in their own skin. No, it's never that. Then it turns into, can I jerk off to this weird fetish? I had that happen to me once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they absolutely already are jerking off. But it's like, yeah, hairy, that word. Just, I don't like that word either. I'm like, well, I'm not hairy. I'm like normal, you know, if, to me. Just like hair. I just have hair. Yeah. I wouldn't categorize myself if we're on Pornhub and like, you know, hairy, finding yeah. a category. You know, I'm not under the hairy category, but like, Aren't I guess. you like a light haired person too? Yes. Like, how hairy are ya? You're, you're like your average European, like not Eastern European like me. Yeah. Where, like, the hair is... The, my friend... Yeah, L. Actually, no. I don't know if I'm... Yeah, no, she won't care me sharing about it. She made a joke the other day that it's, like, it's a fro down there. Like, a full-on afro. And I'm like, would you like me to get you a pick? Like, it was really funny. She's like, the texture. And I'm like, we're so not used to seeing yeah. an actual, like, grown-in, I forgot to shave or wax or, like, just stopped caring for three months. Bush. Bush. Yeah, baby. We don't know what that looks like anymore. No. Yes. And when we see it, it's like a porn category. We're like, hairy. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, yeah. it's just it's just my normal body, but whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't mind having, like, a bush as long as I don't have any in the taint. You know? Like, I wish that there were people offering laser to, like, just do the just taint. Just that area. Or, like, I'll do the butthole, but not the taint, you know? Oh, I need the in-between. Like, I want to do... Yeah. yeah. Or have you noticed that if you want to remove some of your hair, maybe you haven't because you keep it. I have done laser on a few parts of my body because I don't like the feeling of hair growing back or like the medium zone. Fair. Um, like I don't mind being, I don't mind having hair or not having hair. It's the in-between. So whenever I've chosen to remove it, the growing back just drives me crazy. So every time I've gone and been like, yeah, I just want to do like this thing. They're like, not all of it. And I'm like, no. They're like, you sure you don't want to do all of it? 
Not the body like, yeah, shaming sure. at a waxing place. <laughs> I don't think they realize it. I think they're just like so not used to someone coming in to remove body hair who wants to leave some body hair. Yeah. And then it comes up. Yeah, then again, they all have Botox face, so it looks like they're shaming you because of the Botox face. I don't know yeah. if it's that they are or that it's just their face now. Their face is just, like, serious, yeah, when they yeah, say it. Yeah, it's just, like, the face. It's dry yeah. delivery and a serious face. You're like, Do And they you all call me? you baby and honey, and you're like, I'm not your baby or your honey. You sound like a, like, a, like, my, like my creepy uncle. You know, I don't have a creepy uncle, but the guy who wants to be your creepy uncle. Anyway. Ew, yeah, yeah. exactly. By the way, we love people that get Botox. Lovely. Go get it. Get your Botox if you want to get Botox. Yeah. Yeah. The re- I'm just talking about like the, the receptionist at these, like they're, it's always like the receptionists all have the same facial expression. Yes. And I'm not sure if it's like, ex- like if they get hired because of the facial expression or if it's because of the Botox. Yeah. 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 They probably have yeah. the look of, yeah, whatever. I've, I've seen tons of people who don't have that face who have had Botox. Like it's, it's <laughs> specifically the receptionist. At this one place. All uh, every I've gone to multiple places because they all have a tendency of like having a flood and like shutting down or like you know disappearing after you've like right before your last paid session or like you know that's <laughs> that's so th- I've gone to like four different places now and frequently the receptionist has the face so it's fine you just got to know going in that like you know they might be judging you but you don't care because you're paying them a service so they better provide you that service absolutely anyway it's tangent. That doesn't... That we is love not, a tangent. I've got one more question. We yeah. love a tangent. Don't worry, Ray. We went off topic. Okay. We only have a few minutes left, and I don't know if we're going to be able to cover this in the last one, but... We'll do it. One of the conversations happening in what I call regular world. So there's, like, our world where people are sex positive and knowledgeable about consent and wonderful, and, like, you can just sort of, like, say offhand things like, you know, patriarchy, and everyone just nods and knows that that's, like, the short form for a much longer explanation. And then you go to the regular world with uh, straight men and or the, you know, martial arts dojo that I go to and meet lots of straight men. And then all of a sudden you end up in these wacky conversations you'd never thought you'd have. So one that's coming up a lot for me is the idea of fetishization versus preference. And so um, I know sex workers get this to a certain extent, but I have met a lot of cisgendered straight dudes who are saying something like, it's not fetishization if I'm just really attracted to Asian women. And, like, if I see an Asian woman and I want to hook up with her because I'm attracted to her, how is that any different than wanting to hook up with anyone because you're attracted to them? And, like, how is that How is that objectification? Like, they're like, that's not... Or, like, they don't necessarily see a problem with objectification, which is, like, a, a different conversation. But, you know, is all objectification fetishization? I think all fetishization is objectification. But then, you know, when is it really just a preference... And when is it fetishization and how can you tell the difference? And I'm asking you this because I don't know how to answer them. Yeah. (laughs) Anytime I read something about like, yeah, preference on dating apps or whatever, I want to ask the question, okay, what is informing the preference? What messaging, you know, is informing this preference of like, you know, I prefer to have a, a fit person. I want somebody that can like go hiking with me it's like okay is it a preference or is there like some sort of ism that's yeah. informing your well preference? i think the the like comparison here was they would say i'm like well do you want to have sex with an asian woman because you think she's going to be subservient and they'll say something yeah like, right. no i just really like how asian faces look and i'm like hmm. okay but really i'm still like but really, I feel like, 
it's informed by something and you, you know what I mean like yeah I don't buy it yeah well that's the, that's the thing where I'm just like that's the impasse we get stuck at in these conversations where it's like no I don't associate this with this and I don't associate that with that I might just like how it looks and I'm but like, you're just if, to me I'm like yeah maybe you're just not aware that it's like being informed by yeah well then I guess then the other question becomes like well then is it okay to sleep with someone because of just how they look if it's supposed to be a one night stand and you're both just using each other for the one night stand and that's usually when I have to excuse right. myself from the conversation but um, mostly because I don't have any good answers to that because unfortunately that's a lot of people's reality Yeah. even if that's not necessarily thoughtful and caring yeah like you're fetishizing a person like for whatever yeah. Their hair, their body type, their the type of tits they got, their anything, right? Like there's always objectification happening. Hookup culture is one big objectification. <laughs> it's like Yeah. We're yeah, I don't know if I have any real good answer for that either. Um Okay. Good. Well that makes me feel better knowing that you also don't have a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like people you know it'd be nice if people would interrogate this stuff you know with within themselves a bit more you know um because I would be super interested to hear like what comes up you know do you want me to introduce you to some straight regular men who can stay anonymous and come on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) you don't need to befriend them just like ask them these questions let's really get into it (laughs) yeah yeah I think that would violate the boundary of I'm not a therapist. You know what I mean? That's really funny. You've seen those like, you've seen those like TikTok videos of like the one, the one like not very intelligent, like sexist guy who surrounds himself with, with like attractive women who are like in his mind, he is deemed as less intelligent than him. And then he asks them questions about gender relations and, and then gets to laugh at like how dumb women are. Have you seen those? No. Oh my god, think then I am not going to send them to you because your algorithm will get fucked. But um <laughs> Yeah. I was gonna say you should do like that version where you just surround yourself with like people who are like less intelligent than you when it, or less informed than you on these topics, just so you can make yourself look better, you know? <laughs> that sounds like a fun time, right? <laughs> I think that's my life. Um <laughs> not less intelligent just maybe less informed yeah i i i don't desire to put myself in those uh, situations no (laughs) i really don't yeah no that that last question though got me that's a thinker it really is well yeah we can always revisit this in in four to six weeks after we've processed yeah And I know a lot of, um, a lot of like, you know, sex educators and whatnot and relationship coaches and stuff, you know, might be able to weigh in better on this than I would. Um, so if anybody's interested, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to hear what people have to say about this. Um, cause that's a real good one. Real good one. These have all been real good ones, Ray. It's almost like you have a podcast of your own. And you're really good at this. Thank you. I did. I did. If anyone wants to listen to old episodes, I still pay for them to be hosted. So that was Sex News with Ray. And uh, Lady Pym was on, I think, six episodes where we talked about, like, sex worker laws. And that was, I actually had a lot of fun doing it. But no one was paying me to do it. So I had to stop. 
Hey, I get you know? that. Again, with setting the work-life boundaries, you know. <laughs> yeah, for all of Erin's um, listeners, uh, when she was talking about doing research for a podcast that was like rooted in maybe like current event, that's literally what mine was. And it was a lot of work staying yeah. current. So, or finding people who could talk about things as they were current. And so there came a point where I had to say goodbye. But I do miss it. Which is why I keep coming on yours. And, so. and bless you for your service because like, yeah, I don't want to run a podcast like that either. But like, it's so important that people do. So like, yeah, thank you for that. It's real good stuff. Please go back and listen to the archives because it's yeah. so good. I should it also really add that like, there came a point where reading the news was making me really depressed and anxious. So I also had to stop reading the news. And that's like... Because reading the news wasn't changing anything in the world, but it was making me feel bad. So how do you run a current events podcast when you yourself have had to stop reading the news for your mental health? So that's tough. That's a tough one. It's so real. It's so real. I agree. Anytime I like am exposed to like anything outside my like little happy sex worker bubble, I'm like, oh, yeah, people do hate me. People do hate us. Although I should say that um, I do have like a monthly newsletter where yeah, I've done like a... I, yeah, tell us I, about yeah. all the things, Ray, because you do a lot. So yeah, let's I tell do. all so the I'm people. Gonna start, I'm going to start with the newsletter because I've taken my newsletter and the same way that I used to share like articles or topics in the podcast, I've now put it into my newsletter. So my newsletter is usually fairly short. The top is like a little bit of what I'm thinking about, some articles that like inspired these thoughts. So it'll be anything on like articles about consent or like I have a friend who keeps sending me things from like nature.com it'll be like let's like how we're we have an increase of uh, throat cancer and how it's linked to HPV and that's why we should all get vaccinated but don't worry like you can still give blowjobs you know like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about in this newsletter and then I usually mention like what the learning opportunities of the month are where I talk about my online workshops and the online like so that's the other thing I teach sex ed I mostly teach adults and I run a workshop twice a month roughly. Um, And tickets are only about 20 bucks. They're all virtual. So you can come from wherever. And um, I think September we're doing parenting and sex sex positivity or parenting and sexual wellness, basically like what is the Canadian curriculum? And like, how do you talk about this at home for age like zero to 20 with your kids? So that one will be cool. And then I think we're also doing, I think September is also STIs for back to school. So STIs, I don't just teach like, what are the STIs? I talk about a lot of like stigma, internalized stigma. Where do we learn these messages? So if you are at all active in the sex world or seeing sex workers or just concerned about your sexual health or like really just like don't understand STIs or how to talk about them or maybe your knowledge needs an update, this is the like sex positive place to learn. So that's, I also am doing the taboo shows in uh i think the toronto one is in october but i'll be in calgary and edmonton i don't know when i'm teaching there yet but if you are going to the taboo show i will be doing some short versions of these virtual workshops like you know 20 minutes of the total content at the taboo show so you can catch me there and then if you are looking for help with dating online you're kinky you're poly your enm anything like that i do a lot of dating coaching And I also do a lot of relationship coaching. So my social media where you can find all my coaching stuff is Share With Ray. Right now, it's very much targeted to cisgendered straight men who want to do better dating online. In October, the content is shifting to be more about E&M polyamory relationships or just sex positive and kinky relationships, um, whether you're solo, whether you're partnered, whether you are multiple partnered. So you can follow that account for more info and you can learn more about my coaching there. And then if you just want to see cute photos of my butt and keep updated <laughs> on all those workshops, you would follow Wife Bay Ray. 
Is that everything? I think that's everything. That's everything I'm up to right now. Uh, At the Lady Pim one. That's where I'm the most active on Twitter. Also, for some reason, I'm on TikTok at the Lady Pim. Uh, If you want to go to Instagram at the Lady Pim, at the Bedpost Podcast, um, our Patreon is the Bedpost Show, our YouTube channel is the Bedpost Show. Um, And I never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who does all the original music for the podcast, Stephanie Copeland. You can find out more about Steph at stephcopelandmusic.com. Ray, uh, no surprise here. This was absolutely a fabulous conversation. And you know me, you're welcome back here literally anytime. DM me, do the exact same thing you did. Be like, hey. I'll be like, I got something new to talk about. <laughs> yeah. If you think of anything. Um, so I, I always enjoy you, Ray, and I hope everyone listening also enjoyed you. Uh, we'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here on the Bedpost Podcast talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!